Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. You know, the Word of God is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus said, will by no means pass away. You know, the souls of men, they're eternal. The, the characteristics of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the presence of His Spirit in our lives, faith, hope, and love, those are eternal. They're going to last. So invest your life in God's Word. Invest your life in God's people and, and in people in general that Jesus died for. Love God's people. Love God's Word. Labor in God's Word. Labor for people. Because only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus will last. You know, Jesus said this a different way in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, to not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. I don't know how many of us have learned that lesson far too many times. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Hey, thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be along shortly, and we'll be continuing our series in John's Gospel. As you're shopping in the local grocery store, you'll notice a wide variety of bread that's available for purchase. And we all know that can satisfy our hunger temporarily. But today, we'd like to draw your attention to a bread that completely satisfies. It's bread that Jesus alone provides. That comes to our attention in John chapter 6. Open your Bibles, would you, to John chapter 6. We're going to go back to where we are and where we've been on our weekend services in John's Gospel, chapter 6. We're spending a few weeks in John chapter 6 because there's so much there. Remember, we opened up with the feeding of the 5,000, which in some estimates, if the men, because only the men were counted, had their wives and children with them, it could be somewhere in the number of 10,000, maybe even 15,000 people that were miraculously fed by Jesus himself. We learned that not only can Jesus do much with little, but we also learned that we just to bring what we have to him, just bring who you are to the Lord. Let him do the work in you and through you. Obey him and follow him. We also learned that lots of people are following him from all over. There there is an attraction in the life of Jesus, an attraction in his life, an attraction in his love, an attraction in his teaching. The Bible says that the common people heard him gladly, that he spoke with authority, and yet he also spoke with simplicity and a genuineness in his life. But also people were following him because he was feeding, because he was doing miracles, And not everyone is following Jesus with the right motives, with pure desires. And one of the things I notice in following the life of Jesus, it's very important for us to grasp this, is that Jesus was never impressed with crowds, as we can be sometimes. He wasn't impressed that thousands of people were following him. He wasn't impressed, like like you never read anywhere in the scriptures 
where he gets his disciples and pulls them to the side. And then there's this little, this little cameo of them on the side and Jesus saying, can you believe this, guys? 15,000 people following. Remember when we started? We only had one or two. And now all, and you never, he's not impressed with crowds. Why? Well, he has an advantage that we don't necessarily have. And that is he knows the hearts of all men. So he's not impressed that people are following him or thousands of people are coming, which, by the way, pastors need to remember this, especially around the holidays, because when Easter and Christmas comes, churches overflow with people. Let me just say, that's an awesome thing, and it's a great thing, and we're going to take advantage of it, and we're going to make room and add services and preach the gospel every single time. But you know, people that study churches say that the most attended time in a church's life is Easter, that Easter Sunday. It's not Christmas, it's Easter. That you'll notice that many, many services and making room for around Easter, and we do the same thing. We have overflowing crowds and standing room only, very much like we had on Christmas Eve. Uh, there's lots of people coming. So the most attended service is Easter. Do you know what the least attended service is in a church? What day of the year that is? The week after Easter. Imagine that. You have a little staff meeting. Dude, can you imagine? The church was overflowing with people. And then the very next week, I mean, there's less people than there normally are the week after Easter. And so pastors and, and we in general have to be very careful not to be impressed with crowds. Jesus isn't impressed with crowds. Just because there's a large number of people coming doesn't necessarily mean that's the blessing of God. Just because your Bible study seems to grow or Some of the things you're doing for the Lord is multiplying where you go from one to two to four to eight or there's a lot. God is expanding your reach doesn't necessarily mean that he's blessing you because God loves people. And if he wants to gather a large group of people, then he's going to do that and we should take advantage of that. But you know, if he wants to bring one person into your life, that one person is just as important than 10 million. Because 10 million, Jesus sees them one at a time, just like he sees you here in this room. The Holy Spirit speaking to you one at a time. So be careful, those of you that serve the Lord. Be careful, you pastors that are listening in right now, you spiritual leaders. Don't be impressed with crowds. Jesus is not impressed in crowds. He knew their hearts. Now, there's something interesting I found in my study this week, or actually a couple weeks ago when I put this together, was in Rome, the people were conditioned to look for free food and entertainment. I didn't know that of all these years. They actually had a name for it. In Rome, they had a system to keep people happy and content. They called it bread and circuses. They actually set aside 93 days each year. The Roman government set aside 93 days each year for public games and free food at the government's expense. So the people following Jesus were already accustomed to getting free food and being entertained. Now, you know why Rome did this? Rome did this because it was cheaper for them to give away free food and entertain the crowds than it was to fight them or throw them in jail and take care of them. It was purely crowd control. And Jesus wasn't into crowd control. He wasn't into drawing a crowd and then controlling them for his own purposes. No, rather, Jesus came to serve. That's what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Bible says of Jesus, he's speaking, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Like, Jesus didn't come to gather crowds and control them and to use them. Jesus gathers a crowd to tell them the truth and give himself for them. Which reminds me, which reminds me, again... 
in the larger sphere. I know you're not caught up in the larger sphere of the church, capital C. Not just our church, but the church at large. But, but that's a world that I live in. I have a lot of friends and a lot of different denominations and and I read a lot about the church and where the church is going in our country and where the church is going around the world and there's something in our country that's been greatly concerning to me for many, many years and that is this whole idea of, of Christian celebrities. There's no such thing as a Christian celebrity in that sense where somehow one Christian is more important. Like, like for example, we've been, we, we live in a culture that's conditioned, you know, who, who gets all the attention? Well, who wrote the latest book? And who's got the, the greatest podcast? And, and who's the one that is getting all the attention on all the television stations and all the interviews? And, and who's the one that's on the radio? And ha- Listen, listen, there's no such thing as a Christian celebrity. Christian servants, yes. Servants of the Lord, for sure, but a Christian celebrity is an, is an oxymoron. Have you heard that word before where there are two words that don't go together? You know, like airplane food, get it? Airplane, they don't go together, it's just not, it's not, or jumbo shrimp. You guys got to stick with me on this, it all works. It's like I'm building with you, you got, you got to stick with me. Christian celebrity is the same thing. You don't, we don't celebrate other believers for writing a book or being on the radio. We celebrate Jesus for using those men and women to draw people to him. We need to be very careful that we don't put other believers, pastors, leaders. I mean, right here in our own church, don't put me on a pedestal. Don't lift me up as anyone thing other than a servant of the Lord. That's how I want to be known. That's what I want to do with my life. And I'm not interested in being a celebrity because some people, wait a minute, Ed, doesn't the church here have an outreach on radio and own radio? Yes, we do. But I'll tell you why. It's not to propagate celebrity. We have, the Lord laid on our hearts a long time ago to be extremely aggressive with evangelism, to be extremely aggressive. And so in that heart, as we've laid before and go, man, we really want to reach our city. We want to reach beyond our city, and we want, to, we want to provide a platform, not just for our own ministry, but for many different teachers to reach our own city. And that's why we're in those areas of medium, you know, of social media, television, and radio. It's not to make celebrities. It, it's to propagate the gospel. I mean, think about it. You, you're, we're involved in some ministries that I look at, and they're, they're multiplying ministries. So I can be standing here right now teaching the Bible to you, but at the same time, it's going out over the airwaves and teaching far many more people besides the people just in the room, and it doesn't require any more effort at all. Or I could be teaching a guest teaching in another church, and then the radio could have a Bible study going out like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the gospel is going out. Do you don't think God's going to bless that? He is going to bless that. He is going to use that. Not only that, but through the media that God has allowed us to be a part of, these are places that you can trust 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where you're not going to turn on and go, what is this? No, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to turn on and go, wow, what is the Lord speaking to me right now? Or that song really edified me. Or who is this pastor? I wonder if he's in my neighborhood. I wonder if I can invite my friends. Where? And we aren't trying to create Christian celebrities. Just know that. Don't follow Jesus either. Don't follow Jesus because you think you're going to be popular being a Christian. Or you're following because you think you're going to get what you want from God. Like now as a believer, you can just command God to do. No, you follow Jesus because of what he's done for you. He's given his life for you and for me. That we are saved today because of his blood that's shed. Not for popularity's sake. Have you noticed that Jesus isn't all that popular? I mean the real Jesus. 
You, you share the gospel with your coworkers. You're sharing the gospel with your family. Are they super excited to be introduced to Jesus? Not really. I know that when I walked into a church, I didn't want anything to do with God. I didn't care about the church. I didn't care about Jesus. And I really didn't like it when he started telling me to deny myself. Think about it this. You as born-again believers, you guys have problems denying yourself. We have problems. Like, man, the Lord is speaking to us. Deny, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody that is against God, somebody that wants nothing to do with God, Jesus isn't popular to them. They're not interested. You see, the church, we have to be careful that we don't become like the world to try to reach the world with some irrelevant, syrupy, false message that if you follow Jesus, everything will be fine. That's not true. If you follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. That you need to give up all personal rights to your life. You need to learn that Jesus exchanged his life for your life. And if you're just kind of hanging out at Calvary, you're hanging out in a church because you want to be popular, you won't be popular. I'm warning you now. The message of the cross is not popular. The message of self-denial is not popular. They killed Jesus for his message. They crucified him. And what did he do? Loved, cared, he fed, he served. He was the perfect servant. And the reward for the perfect servant was crucifixion. Can you expect any less? There's a season in our country right now where there's very little persecution. I mean, I do know that politically and things going on at work, and and, and I do know that there are times when we've paid a small price for being a believer. But you know, around the world, people are losing their heads for claiming the name of Jesus Christ. They're losing their lives, following in the footstep of every martyr since the first century, following Jesus, truly following in the footsteps of their Savior who gave his life for you and me. So be careful. We don't want to be a church. I'm not interested in in being a church that isn't connecting or relevant. Of course we want to be relevant to our culture. Of course we want to take the timeless message and make it relevant for us right now. I mean, if if we're going to use an illustration, we're going to use an illustration that's for today. It's going to connect with your life and your culture. If we're going to go into another country with a missionary, we're going to take the word of God and apply it in that culture for sure. But what we don't want is the church to look like the world because then it'll just be lost in the world that's lost without Jesus Christ. And there needs to be a distinction of the church. And one of the distinctions of the church is holiness, righteousness, and the sure, firm word of God. And we want to be careful in that area because the church around us at large is becoming really impressed with the crowds. They're really becoming impressed that the chairs are being filled and budgets are large and And all the while, they're not making disciples. You know, that's what Jesus said to do, right? He didn't say to make converts. He didn't say to fill buildings. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, making disciples, a follower of Jesus. And that's our heart here. That's why sometimes you might not like what you hear from the pulpit. You're like, wait a minute, that's not not what it says in my Bible. No, you actually need to open it and look. That's exactly what it says. That's exactly what the Bible says. You can look it up, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. If Jesus came to not, be, not to be served, then that's our heart. We're not interested in being Christian celebrities that are untouchable or, or people that think they're better than anyone else. We're not. We're all sin and fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us, which means we all need the grace of God. And when we open up now in John chapter 6, in verse 22, where we left off last time, you'll see that Jesus is not impressed with the crowds. Nobody gets away with anything in front of Jesus. Pick up with me in verse 22. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered, 
and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. That's one of the longest sentences in all the Gospel of John. But John is explaining to us that there was a crowd. Jesus was, was with his disciples. His disciples take off. Jesus isn't with them. They want to find him, and they follow him. And so they go from Tiberias, which is on the southwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and they come up over to Capernaum, which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and they find him. And they come to him, notice, and it says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, now pause there for a second because Jesus demonstrates something so wonderful that I want you to learn and we could learn to be better at this. The question is this, Rabbi, when did you come here? I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, he never answers this question. He doesn't even address it except that he does take it in their curiosity and their question, and he turns it into an opportunity to not only share the gospel with them, but give them a strong or a mild, depending on how you look at it, depending on where they were at, rebuke and correction in their thinking, and lays before them some of the most beautiful words on the gospel of Jesus that he's ever shared. And I believe it's good for us to learn how to take any topic, what people are into, as we're building bridges, because that's really what we're doing. We're not, we're not seeking to convert people because we can't convert people. But when I'm connecting with a person, I'm looking to, for a friendship to build a bridge with them so that when I build that bridge and we're connecting, I can take them back with me to the cross. So I'll talk about, and I like to learn about anything. I, I'm not the sharpest guy around, but I can learn and I can read and I can study. So if there's something I know that, that somebody's into, I'm going to read up on it. I want to find out about it. I, I want to be able to connect on that. I want to show interest in that. I, I want to show them, hey, I, I, last time we were talking, you know, you said you were into this. And, and I'm not really into that because I'm kind of this techie kind of guy and you're into fishing. But I did look up a few things about fishing and you throw a hook into the water, Right. And I go, oh, you care? Yeah, and this kind of hook. And I'm like, I didn't read that much, you know? It's like, yeah, and you tie it. But, but learning about fishing so that I can connect with somebody on fishing and then bring them back and go, you know what? A lot of the followers of Jesus, they were um, fishermen. Really? Yeah, do you ever read the Bible? And you can take something so, so important to someone, but really, you know, isn't, isn't spiritual and turn it into something spiritual. It's a great, ta- it's a great tool to have in your ministry toolbox when you're sharing the gospel with people. That's what Jesus does here. When did you get here? He's not even going to answer it, but he is going to give him an answer, verse 26. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now, it was a little bit of an effort for them to catch up to Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to come up the side and skirt the edge. It was, a, it was some effort to them. There wasn't roads, and they didn't hop on a car. They labored. It took some time and effort on their part. He takes that, as well as their hunger, because they're physically hungry, and he turns it into an answer that basically says, first of all, in verse 26, just understand, nobody gets away with anything in the presence of Jesus, both then and now. Like none of us will get away with anything in the presence of the Lord. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I'm getting away with stuff right now. Not really. You might be fooling me, me, and you might be fooling somebody you know, but you're not fooling the Lord. 
Everything is open before him. He knows. Not only that, but even though you're fooling us for a while, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the things that you're doing in secret are going to be shouted from the rooftops. Like it will be open. You know, the, uh, I, th- I forget who it was. It might have been Dale Moody that said, carefully concealed sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Like there's nothing hidden. And here, nobody's getting away with it. They came to Jesus. They're hungry. They want food. And Jesus says, man, you guys aren't even following me for the right reasons. But let me tell you this. Stop laboring for food that's going to go away. Stop it. You're wasting your life. You're laboring for food that's just going to perish. It's going to go. He gives them two types of food. Food that perishes and food that endures. Food that disappears and food that lasts. Food for the body and food for the soul. And Jesus uses this as the beginning of a time of exhortation and teaching. He says, don't labor for the food that perishes. But instead, invest your life, spend your life, labor in your life, settle with the things that are going to last spiritually, those things that are eternal, like the word of God. You know, the word of God is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, Jesus said, will by no means pass away. You know, the souls of men, they're eternal. The the characteristics of God, the fruit of the spirit, the presence of his spirit in our lives, faith, hope, and love, those are eternal. They're going to last So invest your life in God's word. Invest your life in God's people and and in people in general that Jesus died for. Love God's people. Love God's word. Labor in God's word. Labor for people. You've been listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of our study in John's Gospel. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Pastor Ed, all month long, we've been talking about your book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I was wondering if you could take a minute to share one of the many truths or encouragements to be found within those pages. Well, you know, Larry, first of all, I'm very sorry for you guys listening in that are going through great deep pain, whether it be grief or sorrow, maybe you're struggling with depression or a long-standing discouragement. I just want to remind you that the Lord is with you, um, that you're not a second-class Christian. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. I know it's harder for you. Maybe people don't understand you, but the Lord knows, and I'm really sorry that you're going through it. You know, the book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart, was born out of my own grief. After my son passed away, I felt like the Lord wanted to teach me and our church from his word um, encouragement. He wanted to give us encouragement, teach us encouragement, and show us his faithfulness in the lives of people throughout the scriptures. It, while it's not a thorough handling of the theology of suffering, like it's not a textbook It is a book filled with chapters that will point you to episodes in the life of God among his people where he ministered to pain. And it's not a book on grief either, although if you're grieving, it will greatly help you. Uh, If you have a prodigal son, if you are struggling at work, that's why we were generic enough in the title, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. There's a lot of different reasons for troubled hearts. And I just flipped open to chapter six and it says, as we continue through our biblical perspective of suffering, I realize you may not be ready to move forward. And and it goes on to talk about just gently encouraging you and helping you. And and let's face it, reading a book is not going to solve your problems. And, and I acknowledge that. 
but it is going to minister to your heart. And I'm, I'm so concerned or so interested in God's healing in your life that if you can't afford the book, we'll give it to you. I'll give you a copy. All you need to do is email me, ed at edtaylor.org. Now, what I mean by that is if you can afford it, then please do support the ministry. But if you can't, I mean, it's just desperate. It's a desperate situation and you can't afford the resource. We'll figure out a way to get it to you. That's why you know, when people do buy or do support, those funds then turn around and help those that don't. And, and I mean, I'll take care of it myself if I need to with the stack of books. I mean, I will get them and make sure that you're encouraged. That's the most important part. It's not even the support of the ministry, radio, none of that. The most important part is that God encourages you. So it's a great resource. Thousands upon thousands of copies have gone forward uh, and has been used. And it's just shocking Uh, to me that God would use us here, but he does. And I pray for your encouragement. I know you'll be blessed and encouraged as you read God's help for the troubled heart. We'll send you a copy with our thanks when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Well, thank you for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.